1: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Dixie. And in this episode, I sit down with Dr. Christian Barton, and we are speaking on behalf of the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy, which will take place in October, October 4th and 5th in Vancouver, Canada. And Christian is going to be one of the speakers. And so what I've been doing is a series of Facebook Live interviews on the Sport Physiotherapy Canada Facebook page. To help get people excited and to, to feature a good number of the speakers who will be at the Third World Congress of Sport Physical Therapy, and Christian is one of them. And so, in this episode, we talk about the inspiration behind Trek education, and you'll have to tune in to find out what Trek is if you don't already know. Different mediums that facilitate knowledge translation from researchers to clinicians to patients common misconceptions around running and injury prevention, and the good and bad surrounding social media and knowledge translation. And this was live on the Facebook page. So if you want to see us, a video of us doing this, see us sort of in-person, quote-unquote, then you can go to the Sport Physiotherapy Canada Facebook page, which is... uh, which you can also get to by going to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and clicking on this episode. Um, But as a result, since it was live before, not a lot of editing or no editing here at all. So that way you can kind of still get the same vibe of that live feed and that live feel so uh, this was a great interview. I want to thank Christian for coming on, and I also want to thank all of the people behind the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy for allowing me to do these interviews live on Facebook and then be able to spread them across the podcast. Uh, and again, if you want more information about the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy, you can click on the link in this episode over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Um, but before we get started, Christian, what I would love for you to do is just to
2: tell the viewers and the listeners a little bit more about you and how you got to where you are now.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm a physiotherapist by background. Um, have been for nearly 15 years now, so it's getting on. Um, I've always had an interest in research and clinical practice and continuing to try and juggle the two. And that probably started from the very beginning. I finished my undergrad course and well tried to find a position to do some research assistant work on clinical trials and things like that and quickly my mentors talked me into doing a phd and actually started that about a year and a half out and so i did that quite early in my career and probably since then i've been probably a mix of half half clinic and research so along the way probably as I've gone through more recently doing more and more research because it gets harder to fit research in and do bigger picture things, which is something I've become really passionate about and we'll talk more about later. Mm-hmm. And so currently I work um, three main roles. One is my own clinic in Melbourne, which is a, a sports and an injury clinic. And we, I work one day a week there. And then I also work at La Trobe University three days a week. And my main research focus area is around knowledge translation and implementation. And then the past couple of years, I've been doing one day a week with a surgical group. So the Department of Surgery at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. And their big uh, project or area of research is around preventing inappropriate surgery. So that aligns very well with what I do of trying to optimize what we do as physiotherapists to to prevent unnecessary or inappropriate surgery as we go along.
2: Fantastic. Busy weeks. You have busy weeks.
0: Yeah, alongside the three kids at home. And, yeah, it's not, not the easiest to juggle at times, but it's certainly all things that I enjoy.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and every time, all the interviews I've had with all of the speakers who are coming to Vancouver in October all do so much. And I said what we should do one time is just have an interview on how you manage your time. But <laughs> that that's for another interview, but I think people would really enjoy that. So now let's talk a little bit more about physiotherapy so why this field
0: yeah i think um as a kid i was always active playing a lot of sports and had a few injuries myself and i think i've always valued the, the physio's guidance and input into getting back from some of those injuries um so that got me interested in the field and then you go to university and you actually realize physio is a lot more than just treating sports injuries um and you do have to think about pulmonary rehab and cardiac rehab and neurological physio there's a whole range and spectrum that we do um but i think pretty quickly when i come out i wanted to go back to musculoskeletal and, and sports and so went back down that path and i think what i enjoy about being a physiotherapist is just keeping people active and whether that's your more sedentary person where you're trying to motivate them through lifestyle changes to to get active and and manage their persistent knee pain or back pain or whether it's a really elite sports person. I really enjoy trying to get people to achieve their physical activity goals, essentially, is what I enjoy. Awesome.
2: And now uh, I can see more and more people joining. So again, if you're joining, please write like where you're walking from. And if you have any questions, put them in the comments because we'll be able to see them. So now let's, you had mentioned this earlier, Um, talking about kind of what you do, part of what you do. And it's you're involved in several knowledge translation initiatives, one of them being the Trek Group, which I remember, uh, I guess it was last year after Sports Congress, and we all changed our social media to the Trek Elephant um, logo, which was really great. Um, So this is a nonprofit initiative created to enhanced knowledge translation to healthcare professionals, but also to patients and general public. So can you tell us a little bit more about TRAC and how it all started?
0: Yeah, sure. So I think my research journey's been quite interesting. When I first started off doing research, I was in a gate laboratory doing biomechanics research and I've always found that side of clinical practice really interesting and you do this really intricate research and you spend a long time processing data and finally end up with maybe a couple of things that you can share to the community and you share them and then i started doing more clinical based research and trials firstly looking at orthotics and then thinking about exercise interventions Um, very early i i actually worked on a lot of systematic reviews and my passion for doing that was well we have all this great body of research we need to bring it together so we can disseminate a little bit better and then I actually did a project in London where I was actually looking at clinical reasoning of physiotherapists and how they integrate evidence into their practice. And what I discovered really quickly is not only were people not using evidence-based practice all that often, um, when I actually talked to them about telethemoral pain, which I'd spent the best part of seven or eight years researching. They've never read any of my papers, never read any of my research. And so it sort of made me reflect a little bit and go, well, why am I doing all this research and it's not actually being translated into practice? Um, and so I started to have a bit of a flip in what I did. And instead of spending time in the lab alongside doing clinical trials, I started to focus a bit more time on actually getting information out there. Um, and so I have a good friend of mine, Michael Raffliff, who's based in Denmark. And we we often catch up and catch up at conferences and actually One of the first times we spent a lot of time together was when I went to the Danish conference a number of years ago. It was actually after that conference, we're sitting down both quite frustrated, having a couple of Belgian beers talking about this problem. And the acronym TREC come up with just on a random occurrence sitting in his kitchen table, I still remember it. And I was like, how do we do this? We probably need to brand it. We probably need to get people behind the movement and and something happening. So TREC stands for Translating Research, Evidence and Knowledge. So it fits really nicely with that. It actually has more meanings than that. And if you look at the English language for Trek, it means a long and arduous journey, which I think novel translation very much is when you try and actually make people change. And then it also fits with um, probably one of my favourite books I've ever read, which is called Switch, which is how to make change when change is hard. I highly recommend people read this book. It changed my life. And it's a really simple analogy. You have a rider sitting on an elephant and you need to get to a destination. So there's three main parts to that. The rider needs to know where to go. The elephant needs to be motivated because it doesn't matter if the rider tells them the elephant to go. It's not going to go anywhere. It's a big, big beast, right? It's big; it's hard to change. We also need an appropriate pathway to get there. So if you picture yourself as an elephant rider on an elephant elephant in the middle of a jungle and you want to get to the beach, there's no path to get to the beach. And it doesn't matter. You're not going to get there. So the concept of Trek is that we have clinicians, we have patients searching for health information. who are all motivated to learn more and and to do better. they don't really know where to find that information and there's certainly no appropriate path to get there so the idea of trek is to try and improve that so it sort of started with an idea about how we do do this and then with i guess talking and trying to work with lots of people it's been set up as a, a not-for-profit so it's not meant to be owned by anyone no one's meant to profit from it it's trying to bring everyone together and break down the silos of competition between universities because universities don't like to talk to each other and help each other because they're in competition for the same grants Mm -hmm. and that's a big barrier, to knowledge translation. Um, So it's been really important for me from the beginning that yes, La Trobe here where I work supports it, but it's not meant to be owned by La Trobe, it's not meant to be owned by myself, it's meant to be everyone's thing and it comes from a a socialist I guess concept uh, called connective action where we actually it's basically a medium which we connect people with the same ideas. Um, And then I did a communications degree and was focusing on journalism and multimedia and social media and learning a whole bunch of stuff around that. And I thought, well, this is a nice platform to use. I so think about not just mainstream media, but also social media where a lot of people turn. And then our favorite thing, Dr. Google, where most people turn for health information. And when you start looking at Dr. Google, it's a pretty broken system with a lot of misinformation. Yes. And so the concept and my hope is that in time this Trek movement or Trek concept can maybe be something we can't take over Dr Google, but we can certainly contribute to the information that people find on Dr Google. And so it's getting people around the world to contribute information, but created in an engaging format that will actually get people to read it and use it. We know there's lots of barriers to reading research for clinicians, understanding the research they're reading, but also it's time. Um, and if you can consume the same information sitting on the train, listening to a podcast or looking at a brief video or infographic that maybe gives you the key information from some research and you can trust that source, that it's not biased, it doesn't have an agenda, then that means you can be confident that you can bring that into clinical practice. And for a consumer, or a patient that gets that information, they could maybe make health decisions based on that as well. Yeah. So that was kind of the origins of of the project. And it's sort of still growing and developing. A lot of people have helped along the way and hopefully we will get more as well.
2: And what has been so this sort of launched last year, right? Like official, like a yeah. officially launched. Yeah. So what have what metrics have you found from launching last year to where you are now?
0: Yeah, so what, what I did is actually was lucky enough to get a small grant from the Australian Physio Association to build a platform to improve physiotherapist knowledge of exercise prescription. And so we did a study last year where we basically built a website with that, which is edu- exercise.trackeducation.org. And before we gave access to everybody, we made them do a test, which is about 20 minutes. And so I have this great data from around 1,600 physios, which I still need to sit down and write up. And we see big variation in knowledge of exercise prescription and that we kind of expected. Our hope was that we could then test and evaluate whether this website helped to improve people's knowledge. Now, of those 1,600, I think about 100 filled in the follow-up survey or questionnaire later so we don't have great data on that Mm -hmm. but it was at least the grant gave us the funding to build a platform and it's a multi-site platform so since this time we've built a website now for managing teleprimoral pain which is a big area of mine for clinicians we've actually just finishing off a low back pain site and a knee osteoarthritis site so by the time the conference is around we will have launched them and be available and working with some other researchers to make a shoulder site so think of all the big musculoskeletal conditions we see as physiotherapists Mm -hmm and we've also been developing um, platforms for consumer or patients as well and so we have um, one which a phd student danilo de Oliveira silva has been working with me for the last four years and we did a simple little trial looking at that um, to see how beneficial that might be by itself and then in conjunction with physiotherapy intervention and certainly the website by itself is incredibly helpful for improving patients Mm -hmm. knowledge and self-management strategies confidence in in doing things and seems to lead to reasonable clinical outcomes as well by itself but probably better outcomes if we combine it with with physio practice yeah we haven't done lots of evaluation yet but we're hoping that we can start to do that more and more as we go along and most importantly just have some quality resources that are free so you don't have to pay for they're just there you can use them and it's been um, nice to see the exercise site um and certainly the ones we're developing at the moment there's plans to do this as well but they've been embedded into teaching curriculum as well which has been really good so university here at la Trobe is using them but other universities around the world have also used bits and pieces of content and that's the idea of it is to, right. to use it all pointless multiple people around the world creating the same content um when we could work maybe a bit better together So yeah. that's, that's part of it here, yeah.
2: yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense and now, you know, you're sort of, like you said at the beginning, sort of doing a little bit of both your research and clinician. So, yes. why, in your opinion, why is it so important to bridge that gap between research and clinical practice?
0: Yeah. So, I think from if I put my, um, not my research hat on, but my clinician hat on, and I think about our physiotherapy profession, I think we have some amazing physios around who do a really, really good job. We have others who are very good physios that are working really hard to continue to improve knowledge. We have a lot of practice that I'd also consider as pretty low value care and and sometimes itrogenic care where actually maybe delivering health education and information is actually detrimental to the patient. Mm -hmm. And so I think collectively we need to work really hard to establish our brand better and better because we can do better. And a big part of that is actually making sure that what we do know to be beneficial and effective for patients all around the world is actually disseminated into the hands of people who can use it. And that's a big part of that is, is physios and other health professionals. So that's the big passion for trying to change it. And I see in my clinic a lot of second and third opinions. And sometimes it's just the patient hasn't been motivated, hasn't done the things that they need to do. They've actually been given really good guidance. But equally, we see cases where they've seen multiple health professionals and just the, the treatments and the information they've been given is just not aligned with what we know of. Contemporary knowledge around evidence for what should help that person.
2: Mm-hmm. And what do you think, as so as physical therapists or as physiotherapists, where do you think? Uh, what do you think we're doing really well, and we're doing right, and what do you think we need a little bit of help with? I'm not going to say doing wrong, but yeah, no, we just need a little boost.
0: Yeah, it's a good good question. I think in the most part. Um, physio practice and physical therapy practice is moving towards more active management. I know there's lots of debates on Twitter and social media and people Mm -hmm. uh, arguing about the value or lack of value, whichever side you sit on about manual therapy and things like that. But I think overall we are moving to more active management approaches. We are moving more towards managing the pain science side of things and educating patients better about that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. improving Probably what we're not doing very well is building that brand of of what we deliver, and there's a couple of elements to that. One is, I guess, getting collectively across the board that we're all on the same page and delivering similar high-value interventions. Um, And what that means is some patients will go to see a physical therapist or physiotherapist, and they maybe get delivered a lot of electrotherapy or something else, and they don't get better in the long term, and then they go back to their or their surgeon and they say, oh, I did PT, I did physio, it didn't help. Yeah, I
2: failed PT. Yeah,
0: it failed, and and I think that's something that drives me a little crazy. Is you don't fail an in, fail a profession, you fail an intervention, mm-hmm. um, and I think that leads to a lot of inappropriate surgeries and, and other treatments. So I think collectively we need to be more on the same page, but that's something the knowledge translation probably helps with a lot. Um, the other part that I think we do very very poorly, and actually worked with Rod Brightly. who's going to be presenting the conference, and um, also with. J.F. Asculia and um, Chris Napier to write an editorial on this in BGSM, and that is collecting outcome measures. So we don't actually measure what we do very well. Um, We occasionally measure them, and this is the same around the world for compensable patients because we're forced to. But if you were to audit most people's clinical practice and say, can you show me that what you do is truly valuable, it's worth something, most physio practices won't be able to do that. And I reflect on myself that I can't do this very well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need start to get better at measuring the value of what we do so we can take that information to funders and say hey we are actually worth something and what we do is worth something and so i think that's a cultural thing and it's a systems thing and i think it's something we collectively maybe need to work pretty hard to to try and change and certainly locally i'm trying to work with the australian physio association here in australia to come up with some processes in which we might do that and you mentioned about knowledge translation. One of the projects I've enjoyed the most here in Australia is a program called GLAD. Um, I talked to Eva about that yep. recently, and and that'll be certainly discussed at the conference. And the biggest strengths of GLAD is it aligns with clinical practice guidelines, so it's education and exercise. So it does bring that standard up across the board. So for referrers, they want trust that when they send someone to the program, they will get exercise and education, and it also measures the outcomes related to that as well. So it can turn around and we have some great data in Australia, which we're yet to publish, but it certainly shows from our data that not only does pain improve, which is something that may or may not be the most relevant, but also changes things like medication and also changes things like surgical intention. So people may believe they need surgery or going down the line of surgery. And we're seeing certainly in Australia that less people are desiring that. But we look at that in GLAD and that's great here, but the rest of physio practice, we actually have nothing to to, kind of yeah. to fund something we need to work together
2: on I think yeah and I know the APTA here in the United States does have an outcomes registry that they started I think maybe a couple of years ago maybe two years ago um, yeah. to start to collect that data so that we can take it at least here in the US to, our, to insurance companies to show that what we do is valuable and that what we do should be reimbursed.
0: Yeah, um, and do people contribute to that database? What's that? Do people contribute to it? Because do people actually give data?
2: I, I don't know the answer to that question because it is voluntary. Um, so I don't know the answer to that question at the moment. Um, yeah. But I would yeah. assume some people do. But do the 300,000 physical therapists that work in the United States? no. But I'm, I'm hopefully it's something that will grow over maybe the next, I mean, it, and it's slow, right? So it may take like a decade plus yeah. to kind yeah. of, if, if we're being realistic, right? Yeah. Um, we have to do it as a profession, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And and like you said, like, can if someone were to audit my books, so to speak, I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, I can, I can certainly show that. I don't know. I don't know. That's something I need to get better at. So I'm calling myself out, I guess. And it's something that I certainly need to get better at myself. Um, okay. Uh, so let's talk about your experience as a researcher. Okay. So so we'll move from kind of the clinical dissemination. What Do you have any tips for, let's say, new and upcoming researchers or even physical physiotherapy students who maybe want to go into the research track to kind of help maximize their potential for reach and for knowledge dissemination. So you are the researcher, you're doing great work, and then what? It doesn't get to where it needs to go. So what tips would you give to people to help with that dissemination?
0: Yeah, sure. So we, we put together a paper, which is just recently published in VGSM and I do remember the exact title, but it's time, to, I think it's something along the lines of it's time for a place publish or perish with Get Visible mm-hmm. or Vanished. Yeah. So we yeah. have this in research that if you don't publish your work, then obviously there's no record of you doing it. But also you, you can't give credibility to your work, it's, the peer review process is very important to doing that. And when we go for job promotions and, and we go for scholarships, for example, to do